Welcome to the Close Knit Podcast, a podcast that aims to hold space for conversation about the ways we use fiber to process life and world events. I'm your host, Ani Lee. My interest in fiber goes back to childhood, when I'd pore over bedding catalogs and obsess over fiber content and thread count. My mother, bless her, taught me to knit at age 10, and I've fallen increasingly in love with all things fiber ever since. I started the Close Knit Podcast in 2016, and I've had the pleasure and privilege of speaking to over 50 incredible people since then. On this podcast, you'll hear from all kinds of folks who share a love of fibers, from full-time practicing artists to those whose main practice is mending their garments. I'm interested in hearing and sharing as many people's stories and experiences with fiber as I possibly can, because I believe each of these unique stories is powerful and teaches us more about how humans use fiber to make sense of the world around us. This podcast is supported by a very special community on Patreon. Pledging just $5 a month there helps me keep Close-Knit up and running by covering hosting and streaming costs and paying my wonderful editor. I cannot thank you all enough for your support, as it's what enables me to sustainably continue this work. So if you've ever enjoyed an episode, please consider pledging your support at patreon.com slash close-knit. That's www.patreon.com slash close-knit. Hey, it's Ani of Close Knit, and I am here with Francisco Diaz of Cisco Sews. Francisco is a multidisciplinary creative craftsman with a keen visual eye, a sewing newbie focused on secondhand upcycling and material transformation. Francisco aims to be constantly trying new things, sustain imperfect sustainability, and remain queer as fuck. (laughs) I know you wrote AF, but I was like, it's my podcast and we swear here, so (laughs) I just went ahead for it. Hi, Francisco. Hi. Thanks so much for being here with me today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I am like definitely a visual person, not like a words person. So I'm excited to try out a podcast. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm very excited too. I mean, your visual, like, yeah, your visual eye so comes through in everything that you do. But I'm, you know, I was, we were just chatting earlier that like we talked a little bit on the phone and you were just so easy to talk to that I got really excited about our podcast conversation. Oh, thank you. I I am like, I had a review at work and all I did was ask them questions and they're like, okay, this isn't my, this like, this isn't my review. Like, let's talk about you a little bit. You're like, no, but this is also a really good tactic that I have to make (laughs) you feel like you're on the hot seat and not me. (laughs) Right. I'm just like, I love, I don't know. I love to just ask questions to, uh, I don't know how to describe it. Like, what you have to say sometimes is like what I was already going to say. Mm-hmm. So just like keeping the, keeping it two-sided instead of like a one-sided interview for me is definitely like more comfortable. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I hear you. Well, feel free. I'll do my best. I feel like I'm <laughs> these days I'm more comfortable in the interviewer seat, which is funny that to say that, um, you know, 60 odd episodes in, but it's, yeah, it feels good. So you're in Arizona, Phoenix. Is that where you are? Yeah, I um, just moved here like a couple of months ago um, from Los Angeles. Yeah. And this is where I went to school at ASU. And then um, now I'm back, back in the desert. How does it feel? Well, like, I don't know yet, because obviously, we're in lockdown, like we're all at home. So I'm not able to see like all my friends that I really miss. And I'm not really like, able to go to like, 
my favorite gay bar that I left here or like my favorite restaurant and like sit mm. in the actual place yet. Yeah, I'm very hopeful that that's going to happen soon. But so far, just like being in a place that's like more familiar to me and closer to like family and all that has been really, really amazing. Yeah, it's nice. I We live a couple hours from my parents and I've just been so grateful to be able to be like, oh, they're up on their, my parents live like pretty isolated. So they've been like, I think we can probably see each other if we like yeah. do that quarantine thing. And we're like, oh, I mean, it's, yeah, it's nice. I appreciate yeah. it a lot. Me too. I, I didn't realize that I was like such a family person until it was like, a plane ride away or like, you know, yeah. a very long drive. <laughs> yeah. So did you, what took you out to LA? My boyfriend actually did. And we've been mm. dating for like five years now. Mm. Um, and he is from Arizona and has lived here his whole life. So he was like, oh. let's like try it. Like, let's just go. And I, I was working um, for an interior designer at the time. And I was like, not really loving the stuff that I was doing, not mm. because of the interior designer, but just like the work wasn't like what I wanted to do. Mm. So I was like, okay, like nothing's really holding me here besides like dating you. So let's just go. Yeah. Cool. And then whenever we were there, it was like, I found a job right away, like loved it. And then uh, after a while he was like, uh, let's go back. <laughs> and I was like, okay, let's go. <laughs> Yeah. Like, well, whatever works, I'll go. Yeah. I, I feel like I, I don't get like too tied to like cities. Mm. So it's it was fun. It was like a very fun, um, I think it was like two years and now we're back. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that about cities. I There's like a lot to explore and I'm so appreciative of all the things that go on. Like I'm up in Oakland and I went to college in Berkeley. So I've been sort of orbiting in the Bay Area for a while and so appreciative of the way that people are in a city like the way that they interact and the way that the way that things are located and the sorts of like cultural things that happen but at the same time I'm like I kind of just like want a little cocoon yeah <laughs> of quiet warmth with a few people <laughs> and also like I don't know I I thought that I would really love like such a creative busy populated mm. place but yeah. really I I think it was like stifling me more than it was like inspiring me and I felt like there are so many walls up around me of like people who have are like so insanely talented and have been dedicating their entire life to this that I like felt suffocated like okay I'm never going to be that at that level so I'm not even going to try. Yes, 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 yes. That really resonates for me as well. I I feel like I like started the podcast when I lived in Tasmania, which is this island below Australia and it was a city like it was their most major city and but it was not it wasn't big. I felt like there were just there was such a lack of barriers to entry to do things because people just like weren't, there weren't already seven people doing this same thing. Mm -hmm. Like there wasn't a fiber podcaster in Tasmania. I was the yeah. fiber <laughs> podcaster in Tasmania, which like on the one hand, I feel like there, I don't, I kind of want to challenge myself to like not always be the quote big fish in the small pond. But mm -hmm. I also felt like it was really important for me when I was sort of like cutting my teeth on podcasting and like teaching knitting classes and stuff to like, to actually have the space to do it, to not have all of these already polished, already perfect examples of people doing those things where it was like, okay, I can make some mistakes. I can like start out really scrappy and small and not know what I'm doing and just keep trying. And people were really receptive to it because I was the only person doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like I was on radio a couple of times because they just like needed someone. They were like, oh, you knit a pussy hat, right? Can you talk to us about a pussy hat? And I was like, oh, sure, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I don't want to say that like 
I wanted to be the big fish or anything like that. It's just, right, I just right. felt like so overwhelmed, I think. Yeah. And yeah. here in Arizona, I at least like know people. And I feel like similar to you where it's like, there's not so many people doing the same thing that you can still carve out like a little tiny niche in like this crazy place that you're in, you know? Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. No, I think that that's, that makes a lot of sense. And I don't mean to like say that either of us was like trying to be a big fish. It's like, I think that that's my own insecurity about like being in a small place feeling like, oh, is it just like me trying to be that person, that Mm -hmm. one person doing the thing? Because I think at the same time, there's like, you know, being in Oakland or being in the Bay or maybe being in LA, it's like there is that amazing kind of inspiration of like, oh, wow, people are doing these things. There's examples of these things already being done. You get to be, again, like culturally involved in things. Like, you know, I walk around in Oakland and there are people like women who haven't shaved their legs and I'm like yay me too (laughs) like you know they're not necessarily examples of that in like smaller places that I've lived so like I appreciate Mm. it from that aspect I guess if that makes sense totally I think also what I miss so much about LA is just like the everyday fashion inspiration that I saw just like going to the grocery store it would be like oh my god this is the coolest person that I've ever seen in my life like (laughs) you dress so cool I need to remember this outfit Yes. Arizona has that. It's just not as populated. And I don't think it's like a place where creative people gravitate towards yet, or I don't know if it ever will be, but that's something that I definitely miss. Like I miss the fashion and I miss the funky people that like just do whatever they want because they're in LA and like, who's going to say anything? Yeah, absolutely. I've been wondering this because I was, we like walked up to a coffee shop today and I was like looking at the people at the coffee shop and scoping out their outfits. And I have this simultaneous like, ooh, I love seeing other people's outfits. And then also like, oh, am I suddenly really underdressed? Like I <laughs> look down and I'm like, oh God, am I wearing something cool? And I have been thinking a lot about like, this balance between like that inspiration and then also not necessarily feeling like you have to dress in a specific mm-hmm. way or or something. And I, I'm like wondering if you've noticed your style change across the different places that you've lived or like seen the influence of the place on your way of dressing. Yeah, like absolutely. And like, I think one of the best parts about living in LA was just that I was just like, okay, like I'm in an area that is very, like very queer friendly Mm. it's an amazing climate where you can wear like whatever the heck you want all year like you don't have to worry about that part of it so it was like a place it was a a moment in my life where I was just like experimenting and I was like there's no danger of like offending anybody or like being you know in danger if I want to dress like very queer or I want to dress in I want to wear a dress you know Mm -hmm. so that was definitely like freeing. And I think it was because I was living in that place and Arizona is definitely like way more conservative, but Mm. now I almost feel like, because I like was able to build up my confidence there that here I'm like, who cares? Like I'm going to do this because this is what I love. And like, now I'm not really going to think about it. Yeah, that makes sense. it absolutely does. And I, I've been I've been really curious to talk to you about this. And also, I've been nervous about butchering the language that I use around this as well. So you have, I hope you'll forgive <laughs> me if I mess anything up here. But I, I've been thinking about sort of like the gendering of clothes and the mm-hmm. fact that like you so seamlessly wear, like you so seamlessly kind of cross mask and femme 
in the way that you gender express. And I love, I mean, I think one of the first things I saw of yours was like a dress that you had made that was inspired by lifers, like cutting up t-shirts and making, Mm -hmm. making a dress out of it. And I was like, oh my God, I look like, I just (laughs) thought it was so, I thought one, it was so clever. I love, I'm loving seeing all the different people finding like new and really inspiring ways to upcycle. But I also just Mm love that you were like, I'm wearing a dress and I love the way that this looks on me and feels. And it was just a non- start like it was just not it was not a topic you know it was just like this Mm -hmm. is what you're wearing and that's who you are and like I guess I was just so curious about like whether there was a specific time that that started for you or if you've just been like yeah I've been wearing dresses for as long as I can remember (laughs) or you know what I mean no way like I think that the reason I'm able to do that is just because like there's a whole archive of just like lessons that I've learned and like self-reflection on myself and like Mm. looking up examples that like you're not going to see that on Instagram because on Instagram you're going to be like I'm wearing a dress and I'm beautiful like this is amazing but you don't really see like the time where I was like not even wearing like specific colors because they were too feminine or like Mm. I didn't want to wear skinny jeans in high school because they were too feminine you know like all of that work that I had to put into myself is like the reason that I'm here now and Mm. I guess isn't like as visible to people on like an app where you're just sharing photos. Right, right. Well, and that's, I think, I think we're kind of getting at that essence too of like, you get that time to have your process. Like we're kind of talking about with like, wait, in a city, I don't know that, like I have to be so polished and look perfect right away. Or, you know, in these creative communities where it seems like people have their thing already identified. It's like, I want to see more examples of, you know, the whole process of what it took. I think it's wonderful to see people like find their voice and find their kind of space that they take up in the world. But it's, yeah, it's really special, I think, to learn to be able to know that it isn't just like, yeah, one day I woke up and I was just totally comfortable doing this and I knew exactly who I was and that was it. And I started sewing dresses and now I'm, yep, done, (laughs) you know. And I think too, at first I was like, when, cause I started sewing a year ago, maybe. And Mm -hmm. at first I was not making any dresses cause I was like, I need to make things that I'm going to wear every day. Like, I don't want to make things that like are experimental that maybe I'm not going to feel comfortable in yet. Or like, I don't want to waste this fabric on like a dress that I might only wear like once ever, you know, cause I'm not fully comfortable yet. So I think sewing has also allowed me to like make things that I just feel so good in that I can't like not wear them. And then it Mm. makes me feel more comfortable with the fact that I'm wearing a garment that's like, maybe not in my traditional gender expression, but it's something that I just have to wear. Yeah, I love that. I want to delve into all these things. But I'm, (laughs) I guess I'm just curious about the life that's life that's gotten you here, basically, you know, like, I'm, Mm -hmm it's really cool to see where you're at right now with the sorts of textiles that you're making and the garments that you're making and how you're expressing that. Like it's, yeah, that is a whole thing that I want to like go way into, but I'm curious, like if you have a memory um, of being young, younger or young, and like there was someone in your family who worked with textiles or even just a garment that you remember wearing as a kid and really like viscerally loving or something like that. I don't think so. I like nobody in my family ever sewed. And I remember that like on TV, they always show like the grandma knitting. They show like the grandma on her sewing machine. And my grandma was like nothing like that. And my mom like didn't even sew our buttons if they broke. She was like, okay, well, that's just over. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. So I never grew up with seeing like things be created. And that was something that I like learned so much about whenever I started doing it myself, Mm. how much work and how much skill you need to actually put this stuff together. Yeah. But I just know that for me, 
what I've been reflecting on recently is that I've always used clothes to sort of like present myself in a way that I felt would make me safe or would make me to like fit in a little bit easier. Mm. So like, I just like wrote a blog about it. And I, like I said earlier, I hate writing. I like, I'm not a very articulate person. I feel whenever I try to like write or talk. This is untrue. I just want to reflect back <laughs> at you that like reading your website, it's like very articulate and you speak. Yeah. Like you're oh my God. <laughs> just reflecting back at you that I think that might be like an inner critic thing happening because you are a very seamless articulator. <laughs> Thank you. I, I guess that is. Yeah, there probably is. But whenever I was in high school, it was like, I need to be the best looking student. And that's mm. like an all American student. Like I have to wear a button up every day, every single day of like the school year. I have, I like made rules for myself. Like I can never wear sweatpants. Like I can never be frumpy. I can never like do any of that. I didn't even like, like to wear tennis shoes. Like I always wore boots or like dress shoes. Yeah. And it was like me trying to be like this all American student. Mm -hmm. And then in college, it was kind of like, I don't have the energy to do that anymore. <laughs> like, so I'm, real. I'm struggling to even like get my classwork done. Yeah. So then that's where I was like, okay, if I don't have to do these rules, I just need stuff that I can wear that like is going to make me feel comfortable. Yeah. That's whenever I started like really, really getting into thrifting and like finding mm. my own clothing okay. and like leaving any of these fears behind. And it was like, at the same time that I was also like coming out as gay at first and then like filling out that part of my identity as well and doing that work at the same time. So I feel like it wasn't until that point where I was like, these rules aren't serving me anymore. They're kind of holding me back Mm -hmm. able to be a little bit more myself and like experiment a little bit more with what I was wearing. Yeah. I'm curious about that part of you that was looking for those rules or imposing those rules upon yourself, you know? Like, I think that that's not an uncommon thing for someone in like a high school age range to do. Mm -hmm. I think I had similar things, not with dressing, but just kind of weird rules or not, you know, not to say they're weird, but (laughs) specific, (laughs) specific (laughs) rules that I imposed on myself. I'm so curious about that part of you. Yeah. It was just, I don't even know where it came from it was probably like pop culture that I was Mm. like this is the model for who I need to be you know right right and even if it's just for like these couple of years I can like survive (laughs) then I'll do it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and then in college you kind of had this it's this interesting kind of mixture of like both out of necessity that you were just like I'm tired like I don't have time for this and also kind of this like spatial spatiality spatialness spaciousness (laughs) spaciousness to like understand like who you are and your identity it sounds like and it was also the biggest part of it was community Mm. that I finally had these people around me that were like that wasn't the first thing that they would care about or like that wasn't something I had to hide from them anymore. Right. So like having that group of friends that like had my back and like I finally felt comfortable around, I think also broke down a lot of those barriers that I was like building for myself. Yeah, that's so special. I think that's such an important, I mean, it's an important part of any any kind of identity expression, like having the people that you know will take care of you and keep you safe and make you feel safe, you know? So then was college kind of the time where you were like, and now I'm thrifting? Like, was that Mm -hmm. your kind of foray into sewing? Where does sewing start to play a role here? Sewing was a lot later because at first, Mm. so also going back to high school again, it was like thrifting. I would do it with my parents or like mostly with my mom, but then I would never like tell anybody because 
there was like this weird stigma totally probably it was myself again or I don't know but it was like oh yeah I got this at the mall or like oh this was my brother's that he bought like a while ago you know like right I was still doing I was still like at the thrift stores every weekend but I would just never like openly talk about it right and then in college it was like I'm on my own like it's okay at, at this point to be sort of like more vulnerable that you like don't have all the money to like shop at the mall every weekend or like yeah. you know it was less pressure so I was like also getting a bunch of compliments like where the heck are did you find this and it was like finding like a sense of pride like oh I thrifted it like this was literally like a dollar you know Mm, yeah yeah so then I like got more comfortable with just like expressing that I was thrift shopping and then also like you know that Macklemore song that changed the world (laughs) and like thrifting just also became extremely popular (laughs) I I like I mean of course I know the song like I think it probably did the same thing for the community I was in but I forgot that that was like a thing that actually made people probably really change people's attitudes towards thrifting yeah I think it was like I don't even know like what was the cultural shift that led up to Macklemore singing about thrift shopping I don't know right But it was finally like, yes, I do this and like, it's fun and you can find amazing things. And then from there, it was like, got to LA, like that was after I graduated, got to LA and I was like, okay, now the thrifting in LA is not as fun. It's not like as varied as what I can find whenever I was back at home or like in Arizona, because again, there's so many people in LA that do this for a living and they, they'll buy it all. Like, I don't know the story of everybody who goes thrifting in LA. But you know, from what I saw, they wake up in the morning, they spend the entire day sifting, and then they'll either wear it or like, you know, sell it for more money than what they found it. Right. So there just weren't those pieces. So I was like, okay, maybe I should start making the things that like I'm seeing that I'm not able to find. Mm. And then that's whenever Pandora's box was open. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. This is this is the juicy stuff. I feel like that kind of both just the recognition that like when you're in a smaller place that doesn't have as many people like fighting for thrift items, you can just find cooler stuff. Like, totally. That part. And then also the like the necessity piece. I feel like most things that I've started making for myself or embellishing myself or altering or whatever were because mm-hmm. I like saw some cool version <laughs> was like I can't afford that $70 baseball cap but I can like make a little weaving over the logo on the one I currently have yeah is like kind of the mother of us going into these thrift stores with like a slightly different mentality beyond just like I'm gonna get a thing and wear a thing it's like Mm-hmm. I'm going to maybe find a fabric. I'm going to maybe find an, a thing I could alter. Like, did yeah. you did you kind of start with, this is a garment that I think I could wear if I did these small things to it? Or were you kind of straight off the bat, like, I want to make my own ready to wear kind of garments? I was like, I need to just like make them because yeah. I still am not at the point where I know how to like alter something. I don't know how to tailor something yet. Yeah. So that wasn't like the first thing that I thought of doing. It was more like, this is cool. I've seen this online or like this person was wearing something like, how can I make that? And for some reason that was easier was in my say, brain. Than that like, sounds way harder. <laughs> like the way, like, cause I was, my, my take on it was like, I would go to thrift stores and I, and I, it's not right. And I definitely don't do it well. And I have found that like, generally speaking, altering is actually quite, really quite hard. I think you're mm-hmm. hitting the nail on the head there with like, 
truly tailoring something to actually fit you is not an easy feat. Mm -hmm. But I thought going into a thrift store, I was like, well, this is a a skirt that just needs to be like taken into the top a little bit. Or like, this is a blouse that I'm going to like cut the sleeves off, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I definitely done. And which is really embarrassing (laughs) because it's really not a cute look. (laughs) I think also like, I don't know, maybe you like feel this way too, but sometimes I see things that I know I can change, but then I'm like, this is so beautiful. Like this is like, almost like sacred to me that I don't even want to touch it like yeah somebody is gonna find it and like love it hopefully right so it was almost like sacrilegious of me sometimes to like take something and change it and I don't know if that's the way you should think about items of clothing I think that's very reasonable I think that that's kind of coming up this is a total tangent but it's been coming up a lot when I've been talking to people about the like quilt coat trend oh yeah of people being like, there's like two camps of people, I think, where people mm-hmm. who are like, there's a lot of quilts in the world. They need love. Like, turn them into anything. Yay. And then there's other people who are like, you cannot cut a quilt. <laughs> that is terrible. <laughs> like, someone is rolling over in their grave. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, I'm almost in that camp of like, there's like pieces of clothing. I, maybe just because I'm like new to sewing and like don't have as much experience. But there's like pieces that to me are like, almost magical that I would never do anything to them and I think quilts and this point of like my knowledge of how to sew and like how long things take to me that is like I can't do anything this is like the most beautiful piece of fabric that I've ever seen like it needs to just stay where it is stays stay whole I think that makes total sense and I don't think there's like a right way to think about this I think just people's different experiences of working with textiles and things I think kind of like lands them in those those sort of two camps of like, oh, I could turn it into something or <laughs> I better not like better leave that. Just yeah. leave it fact. So where are you finding, are you kind of just like on the internet being like, I found inspiration on this shop or this place. Like where were you finding that inspiration at the time? At the time of like, whenever I wanted to start sewing. Yeah. I think it was like a lot of just Pinteresting. Yeah. Instagramming. I've always been weird about like saying that I'm like a fashion person, but I just love to look at like outfits. Mm -hmm. So to me, it was like, this would look really cool. Like if I could figure out how to make it, because again, like similar to what you said, I'm not going to buy this piece of clothing, like where I am right now in my life. I don't have the money. So like, maybe I can like figure it out on my own. And then that's sort of where it happened. Yeah. Yeah. But never, I like, I don't think I've ever really like followed shops or anything like that until Mm -hmm. now where I'm like oh my gosh this shop is like making everything that I love right right. like this is amazing right and it seems like right now in particular there's a lot of shops that are doing more upcycling like upcycling in a way that I find exciting I think I think I maybe like came to the term upcycling in like 2010 or you know like at least Mm -hmm. a decade ago when it was mostly people and sorry in advance I'm shitting I'm gonna shit on something but like people turning like jeans into like bags like denim bags that were just really uninspired like they just were really uninspired you know it was like I appreciated it conceptually I like loved that people were thinking about like this thing is so torn and messed up what am I gonna do with it like why don't I try turning it into something else but it feels like I think it's taken about a decade for like there to be a really solid momentum built kind of movement around upcycling where there's enough Mm -hmm. kind of like creative minds in it that there's 
there's something for all people who want to upcycle, not just the like shabby chic upcyclers of the world. Yes. <laughs> yes, totally agree with that. And I also think that it's because there's at the same time, there's been this like huge knowledge and like interest in sustainability yeah. and like what the heck we're doing to the planet and like how maybe wrongly, but like, you know, like all companies are saying like, here's what you can do to like save the planet when it's like not all us. But anyway, right, right, right. <laughs> people like want to do these small acts that are going to like help the climate or like help the planet in like smaller ways. Right. And I think that thrifting and upcycling are like getting caught into that and like growing because of that. Definitely. I think that that's absolutely the case. I think earlier when we were talking about this, I was thinking about like lingo around sustainability and the way that people look at sustainability has really changed over the last decade. And also, I think the number of people who've maybe watched the True Cost documentary has probably mm. also gone way through yeah. the roof, which is just like a documentary about where our clothes go, basically. Mm -hmm. Like, it's basically just landfill. Like, it's, you know, I've, I was talking to a friend the other day about how I have a bag of clothes, which are actually sitting right behind. I mean, I'm in a closet. So <laughs> Francisco can see that I am inside my closet and behind my, the clothes, which are behind the computer screen, there is a bag of clothing that I have been like slowly adding a few things to of just like, I don't really think anyone's going to, these don't really have like resale value or mm -hmm. I feel really, sh I feel really guilty about trying to resell things that have either been gifted by a friend or been made by like a small brand and I just don't wear it. And I'm like, I feel terrible. I just I feel <laughs> terrible. I don't, I don't think I can resell it on the internet in good conscience just for myself. It makes me feel bad, mm -hmm. but I'm in this, I feel like I'm stuck in this just like paradox of like, do I give it to Goodwill where I know that it's literally just going to landfill or do I just literally throw it away? And like neither of those options feels right in my soul. I know. <laughs> so it's just sitting there. And like lately my latest idea for it is like, you know, we really need a poof in the like <laughs> an Ottoman style poof in like the living room to put our feet up on the couch. And I'm like, maybe this is a good way to like... <laughs> both lift my feet up off the ground and also sort of de-burden myself of, of the <laughs> guilt of this clothing, all this clothing. <laughs> but like leave it in the bag and just like put the bag in a little cushion and then you're you're happy. <laughs> literally that, literally that. And my, my was, as I was describing this to my friend who is um, an archaeologist, anthropologist, really fascinating person, she was like, you could every year make a new case for it and add the year's clothing into that. And oh my just God. Bigger and bigger. And I was like, that is a fucking art project if I've ever heard of it. You know, like, I am going to, to school for my master's in, in art where I'm going to chronicle my clothing textile waste. <laughs> I love that. I, I have a pile too. And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. And people hear you're like learning to sew or like they hear that you like upcycle and then they're like oh I have these jeans oh I have a bag of t-shirts oh I have this and then I'm like okay like yeah just bring it <laughs> so then the pile is growing and growing and I'm like I don't know what to do it makes me feel a little better that you also have a pile I just imagined mm -hmm. you being like no I upcycle everything <laughs> like very effectively and I have no piles I'm I am very minimalist <laughs> no and then that's also a huge struggle that I'm going with now too where it's like do I need to upcycle every single thing? Like, right. I am telling these people online that I like love to upcycle pieces, but I'm not like upcycling 
a t-shirt that I've had for like eight years. Like I'm not upcycling the jeans that I like don't fit into anymore, you know? So right right now I'm like, oh my God, I've like built this like platform, uh, not platform in terms of views, platform in terms of like what I stand for. And now I actually have to like meet and be and figure out how I'm going to like navigate the world now that I've done this. I don't isn't that, that complicated? Yes, it absolutely yeah. does because I have accidentally done the same thing myself. Yeah. <laughs> like I feel like we often are like people who have kind of built, you know, I'm putting all of this in big air quotes, but like built yeah. a presence on the internet or built a platform of some sort. And and especially mm-hmm. people who have who are vocal about their values, whether they be around sustainability or racial justice or social justice, like you suddenly have this like space where you've kind of you've kind of put up these pillars of things you do believe in and are probably doing to some extent in your life, but like we, like you've rightly recognized in your bio imperfectly, you're doing them. Mm -hmm. We are all doing them very imperfectly, but then kind of this, like the expectation that that's the sort of thing you're going to, the sort of quote unquote content that you're always going to put into the world. And Mm -hmm. I think it's really okay to be a whole person who like has a pair of jeans that you can't figure out how to upcycle. So you, you know, give to somebody else or give to good, you know, it's just like none of us are doing this perfectly, you know? And I think that's like what I've had to start doing on my own, like forgiving myself and being like, I'm imperfect. I love everything. I'm like exploring this, but Mm -hmm. I'm not like the perfect person who's going to like make something out of everything. And I'm also not the person who like knows everything yet. So like I'm figuring it out too. We're all figuring it out together, you know, like, right. And some, it's okay to make a mistake. Like personally, I have to tell myself that like, it's okay if sometimes you donated something to this place and then you realize, oh my gosh, afterwards, this is the worst place that you could ever donate to. You know, like you learn that. So just forgive yourself. Right. I think there's this kind of expectation that we're all going to be on the same page with our sort of knowledge about Mm -hmm. a lot of different things. I think in in the community that I kind of exist within on Instagram, it was sort of just like basic feminism. And I was like, not everybody has like a basic understanding of Mm -hmm. feminism. A lot of people need like a feminism 101 course. And a lot of people don't didn't have access to it because of like Mm -hmm. lack of privilege like there's classism there's all of these things ableism there's just like so many things that hold people back from having access to all these things that like somebody like me who like has a college education and like continues to have people who educate me about lots of different things like didn't have access to and this sort of expectation that everyone will have the same vocabulary that somebody who's college educated and took like a feminism class would have it just sort of doesn't (laughs) It doesn't like, you know, it doesn't add up, I guess. Yeah. And, and then there's also like that offering advice sometimes over the platform of online can feel kind of like pointed at you and like negative where you're like trying to help somebody, but to them, it feels like you're like criticizing them. That's sort of like where I'm at, where I'm like, I don't know what to do. Like I'm figuring this all out too. Like, yeah, I love all this advice coming at me, but sometimes it's like, it's overwhelming, I think. Yeah. Do you find that like on, on Instagram, you're, you receive advice about like how to upcycle or how to sew or I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm curious yeah, about that. I, th- I think I just like receive a lot of advice about definitely sewing and definitely like upcycling where it's mm. like, I don't, I'm not there yet. I will get there eventually, but I'm like here and I need to get there on my own. Like I need to learn as I go. I love that you have been doing this forever. And I, yeah. 
accept and I understand that you have so much information that's going to help me. But sometimes I think we need to allow ourselves to move slowly and like to get there on our own. And that's sort of where I am. Yes. I actually love that you brought this up because I've I've noticed more people that I follow, particularly SOAS, actively saying, this is something I'm working on. Like I'm actually looking mm-hmm. for stumbling through it right now. I, I'm actually not asking for the best solution for this or that. And if I am, I, I will I will explicitly ask for it. But like right now, I, tr- I just want to trial and error, figure this out. Totally. And I feel like it's it's such an interesting one because it obviously comes from such a place of like care and adoration and inspiration. Like these people love what you're making and they like want to support you in some way. But at the same time, like you are entitled to the space that you need to take up to be able to like work at your own pace and discover things for yourself. Mm-hmm. And that place of discovery, I think is is like what makes your work so unique is that it is this like, discovering practice where you're like, I saw a thing. I wanted to make the thing. I made it my own in this way. Like you, you seem very much to be like, I had a curiosity and then I followed that curiosity. And this was the outcome of that curiosity, which is Mm -hmm. very different to like the way that a lot of the sort of craft community is like sold through capitalist means of like, here's a thing, there's a pattern, here's the fabric you need to buy with the pattern and then make the thing, which is totally fine. Like that is a way to engage with craft and a way to engage with textiles. But I feel Mm -hmm. like what draws people, myself included, to your practice is that it is this like curiosity embodied, I think. Yeah, I love that. I don't think I've ever like thought about it in that way. But sometimes I like reject that there's a pattern that's exactly what I want. Or like I reject that like I can buy this fabric so easily, but like I could also figure out how to make it on my own. And yeah, I, I love the way that you just put that together because like I do, I want to mess up and I want to like put it on and it doesn't fit me. And I know that I could ask the community like, hey, what pattern would work for this? But I also want to like figure it out on my own. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, like you said, are not drawn to me because of that, but drawn to that idea that like you're going to mess up and you're going to like try it and it's going to be your own and it's going to be so imperfect. It could have been perfect if you would have done this. And 80 people have done it that way before, but like, this is yours. And I, that's like what I love right now about where I am. Yeah, totally. I feel that way towards sewing myself right now because I am very much in this like playful, curious, use scraps, use whatever I have, use random clothes, like alter things, like try altering a shirt that I just never wore before. (laughs) And it feels so like low stakes compared to some of the making that I've done in my life where I see other makers doing. And it just, Mm -hmm. it feels like it peels back this layer of fear that like enables me to actually dive in and just try. Because I I think, again, there's like these two sides of it. I can understand why people want to like control the outcome. I can understand why they like want to know, okay, I bought this $40 meter, I was about to say a skein because I'm used to talking about knitting, Um, (laughs) like $40 a yard linen fabric. Like it's got to be perfect. You know, like I want it to turn out because otherwise, you know, what a waste, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. But I also love this idea that you don't have to necessarily have an intended outcome and you're kind of, you're showing up to it with more of an improvisational attitude or a playful attitude. Like I, I really feel 
for myself at least, like play is something as an adult that I really want to try to cultivate. And I feel like mm-hmm. is missing in just like so much of our lives. Like when do you get to play just like free form play, you know? Yeah. And I think that's something that we can bring into like what we do because right. it's some, it's something that does require skill and it does have stakes. And like, I understand that there are people who need to make something work with a certain budget that they have you know like they they don't have the play that I have or like Mm. they don't have the time that I have right so I understand all that but for me I'm just so happy that this is something that I've never done this is something that I can mess up on but it's messing up is it doesn't fit perfectly it's not like oh my god I just let something on fire (laughs) (laughs) right right the mistake could be much more expensive it could be much more painful it could you know there are other ways that it could be so much more challenging if you'd set yourself up with materials or other things that like were more costly or more of an investment or or, you know that kind of a thing and I also think that there are people who maybe their thought process isn't the same like maybe to them it is so fun to open a pattern, see all the instructions and like follow every single instruction. And to them, that's like, this is so fun. Like to them, that is exploration. And if that's it for you, like, I love that. I (laughs) am so glad that you said that because I think that that must, I think that that's accurate. It's very hard for me to understand just because I have, I've so don't relate to it. But Mm I, in saying that, I get that kind of joy out of reading a knitting pattern, but it's only been through like years and years and years of practice Mm -hmm. of getting to that point where like, okay, I have an affluency in like how knitting patterns are written or the sorts of things that they often do that I feel comfortable being like, okay, I know this will roughly turn into a sweater shape and it, you know, we're going to get there somehow. I don't totally understand the the instructions yet, but we'll get there. But I I think you're so right that there's just like folks who either are at the stage and they're sewing where like that they are fluent and that just feels like boom, 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 you know, step-by-step I've got this done. And other people whose brains work in such a way that that is there is a measure of creativity with with following precisely probably the same for people who like baking maybe mm-hmm. yeah really like precise instructions and following following them so that they can produce a like beautiful result or like getting as close to what the result is supposed to be I think that's probably very satisfying <laughs> totally I'm just like not there at all like I yeah. I feel like the beauty of sewing in the way that I do right now is like there is no intended specific outcome I'm usually making it up as as I like literally as I go like I'm like oh I got this piece I have this like bed sheet and like yeah. I'm pretty sure I could make some puff sleeves but like I don't really know how to make puff sleeves so let's just try this and see what happens <laughs> yeah I love that too that's yeah. that's really fun for me and maybe whenever I'm a wise old sewer I'll be like you wasted your whole like night like figuring this out when you could have just looked it up <laughs> But right now it's it's definitely fun. I'm just imagining you as like an old person just like <laughs> wagging your finger, like go <laughs> watching <laughs> like booting up my old phone to watch a TikTok and being like, you were so dumb. <laughs> so I don't have TikTok, but I love the like TikTok generation. I feel mm-hmm. like I don't know if if this sound if this is true for you too, but I feel like when I have looked at like hashtag thrift flip or like just sort of the like hashtags that are associated with upcycling and sustainable thrifting and stuff that like there's all of these like Gen Zers who are just like extremely peppy and <laughs> really also really good at stuff. I'm like, how did you learn all this stuff? You're like <laughs> seven. Like <laughs> how did you figure 
figure all this stuff out. But they like make these, you know, I sometimes will see TikToks that are cross posted to Pinterest or Instagram or whatever. And like, Mm -hmm. they will have like recorded a video of like totally making something from scratch. And to be fair, I like cannot follow a 15 second video that's like, so, 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 so done. (laughs) I'm like, okay, slow down. But I, I just love seeing it. You know, I feel like there's something so special about the like the way that culture around sustainability and care for the planet and care for community and care for people has kind of like commingled in the like mm-hmm. quote fashion realm that has brought people to this level of awareness of like oh there are if you know if I am going to be purchasing new there are these certain questions that I want to start asking of the company or if I'm not going to purchase new like what can I do with clothing? And it seems, I don't know if I'm, it's just like the niche part of the internet that I've looked at, but it really seems like Gen Z kind of is like starting to embody that. And I'm like really, really jazzed. <laughs> I love it too. I think it's because you can see a million examples of what you love so fast now that I guess you feel more supported now that than mm. you would have before. Like maybe if I would have had thrift flip TikTok in high school, I would have been like, this is thrifted. Like, I love it. Like right. me and my mom go together, you know, like, right. That's probably where, I don't know that maybe that's where they are, but also like, even if they're just bleach dyeing a black t-shirt, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're thinking about it way before I ever did. And I love it. Like, even yeah. if it's not what I would ever wear or like what I would do now, I just love that. Like you said, it's kind of like changing the conversation in like a fun and extremely fast paced way. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it is a little it's a little on the fat on the fast side for me. I do feel like another conversation I continue to have with folks is around the fast fashion mentality sort of seeping into the into kind of quote slow fashion spaces or thrifting mm-hmm. or this kind of like, oh, but I, you know, it was $3, so like why couldn't I, you know, thrift a new outfit every single day or make a new outfit out of thrifted materials every single day? And I think there's something to that. Like I think sometimes it's people find their voice right like I think there are times I had a friend text me being like you're so prolific right now like you've made like seven dresses and I'm like I know and I hope I've told the whole story there of like I don't know what I'm doing these are all like totally low stakes just pieces of fabric I had around the house Mm -hmm. I don't think you need to be making seven dresses in two weeks like (laughs) it's not necessary and I'm not advocating that you do that I am just feeling high off of the like endorphins of learning a new skill and and I'm like devoting all of my time outside of my day job to sewing like Mm -hmm. I sort of feel like I'm glad that people speak to it in the sewing community because I think it's sort of an important piece of that process right like you were mentioning of like it took number of years before you were on Instagram looking really cool in your handmade dresses Mm -hmm. and I appreciate people kind of acknowledging like I'm learning right now I'm excited right now I'm also not saying like make a hundred dresses tomorrow. (laughs) I kind of think too that I don't want to say TikTok is doing this, but like Mm. social media doing this where like, right. We're no longer seeing just the runway. Like we're seeing the back end of it and Mm -hmm. we're seeing like the work. And maybe that's why we're able to question like, who's doing this work? How are they being treated? What's happening on the back end? And we're also seeing like, I'm here, but you can see a TikTok where you see that it was a piece of fabric before, you know, like, right, because we're like sharing so much, you're able to kind of see that back end easier. And it's more entertaining. And it's not like, 
oh mom is at the sewing machine again you know like <laughs> right right it's like I don't know we're packaging it in a way that's interesting to see and in a way that's shareable clickable so maybe that's gonna be good in the future like right make more people want to try it I don't know right right I think that that's absolutely the like clickability shareability is a big part of it but the funness I think is an important piece like Mm -hmm. knitting is like not very fun at the beginning I think (laughs) sorry to say this for people who have not started knitting but like it kind of sucks for like a while until you get to a point where you're comfortable doing it and I think I looked back recently through my sort of Instagram whatever feed way 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 back and I was like Two years ago, I was like trying to sew a friend made most of a dress and then she gave me the rest of she gave me the dress because she was like, I wasn't wearing it, you know, do what you want to it. And so I like hemmed it up or whatever. And I like have a video of me just like really struggling at my machine to like make a hem. (laughs) And I'm like, right, okay. Like two years ago, that's it was a real fucking struggle. And I think something in the post I had written was like, I don't know if I just don't like sewing or if I don't like sewing because I'm a beginner at it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if once I get the skills, I actually will enjoy sewing. And I didn't necessarily want to be like, well, just because I knit, I also have to sew. Like, I think there's sometimes this expectation that like, because you like doing one of them in the mm-hmm. fiber arts realm, you'll like doing all of them or you necessarily want to do all of them. And that's great. I think there's lots of people who enjoy just anything textile related. And I count myself as I count myself among them. But I also think it's really cool to see people kind of specialize and like take that time and and really work on their skill and their craft and really make garments that like feel super true to them. Mm -hmm. I think we're also rewarding specialists right now. Like Mm. we're rewarding the knitting account. We're like rewarding the sewing account. We're rewarding like the upcycle account. And we're not really like rewarding as much, or at least what I'm seeing, like the, like, this is my whole life, you know, like people are having a life and then they're having like my sewing or like my art, you know, Mm -hmm. I think that might also play into it. I don't know. That's a really interesting observation because I feel like there's been this time on Instagram where everything was about like kind of lifestyle-y stuff. And maybe it's, maybe we're moving away from that. Maybe that's kind of a cool thing. I think that's kind of cool because I'm kind of over lifestyle bullshit because it's like, this isn't your real life. Like, (laughs) this is like some content you made to look like it was your real life, but it's Mm -hmm. not real. Like, I think that actually coming back to it, that's, I think, part of why people gravitate to an account like yours is this humility around like, I'm learning a thing, come along with me while I learn to do this thing. And like, totally share my own observations and share my interviews and share my connections with people in the community. I think like, I think there is a real kind of grasping towards people whose process feels honest. It just Mm -hmm. feels true and honest. And they're like, I made this thing and it didn't work. Or, you know, this was the first thing I ever made. And like the seams are falling apart or something like that. And I think maybe it started out like, I'm on the couch, like I'm watching TV, you know, but then it just evolved so quickly into like, this didn't get 100 likes, like, I'm never gonna post this ever. again. Yeah, (laughs) for me, at least. And so maybe we're just tired of life in that way, sharing life in that way, where you have to like, share your life in a way that is interesting to people. And now, for me, it's like, that's me. And this is my sewing, like, I want these two things to be as far apart as they can. That's super interesting. Yeah. I find myself just sort of like 
wanting less and less to post in general. (laughs) I really enjoy, I will say, I really, really enjoy the sort of low stakes freedom of of Instagram story posting of like Mm -hmm. being able to share a process in that way that's like, it's not well lit. It doesn't matter if the picture was grainy. I just wanted to show you that I was working on a dress or I was working on sewing something new. Mm -hmm. But the like actual kind of curating it into a whole thing like a narrative I'm just sort of like oh, oh have it. <laughs> this is a thing I made <laughs> I know and like sometimes it doesn't have a narrative sometimes it's like look how cool this is I wanted this like that's it there's right. no like whenever I was young my grandma would wear this <laughs> like there's there doesn't have to be something like that right yes that's amazing if it has that like connection to you but also like sometimes we like pretty things and we want to own pretty things and I think sometimes that's okay obviously there's a balance (laughs) but sometimes that's okay and sometimes I'm like need to tell myself sometimes it's okay that I wanted to have a cute dress or I wanted to have a pair of pants that were cute and I made them. Yeah. I didn't go into this saying, I'm going to save the planet. I'm going to go buy fabric that's only like secondhand, you know, like, right. I don't always have to do that. I think I'm just like, need to give myself that space to sometimes be a little bit, you know, worldly. <laughs> yes, yes. No, absolutely. It reminds me of what we were talking about earlier, where we were just sort of discussing like having a platform and mm-hmm. then the assumption around what you will do with that platform or how you will express that platform that you've kind Mm. of like constructed. And I think again, like sometimes you just accidentally construct a platform of, of specific values that you have. And you're like, actually, I just wanted to do this thing. Like this thing was interesting to me. And there is, like you said, there's no narrative and it does not have to have a narrative to be valuable or to be something that you decided to spend your time on. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to like explain yourself for that. Mm -hmm. You were just like totally allowed to make a pretty dress because you wanted to make a freaking pretty dress, you know? And like, if I do that, it doesn't mean that I don't have these values. Right. It's just that I'm not like putting those in the forefront every single time. And right. that's something I'm like learning for myself. I need to give myself that space. Right. And I want to see more space made for that on mm-hmm. social media. I, I'm hopeful that there is a world in which we can understand the wholeness of people's identities and give them mm-hmm. space and nuance, like space for nuance to be able to be like, today I posted something pretty. Don't think that that takes away from the fact that I am engaged with what's going on in the world mm-hmm. around me. You know, like it's tricky. I don't I don't quite have words for it right now just because mm-hmm. I, I feel like I've kind of taken a little bit of a step back off of Instagram and I'm trying to think about responding versus reacting a little bit. Just like, how do you hold and sit with the events of the world and your life and everything going on mm-hmm. and sort of practice like not necessarily feeling the, the need to like react immediately, but to maybe like take mm-hmm. a pause and be like, okay, how might I respond to this situation if I like took a moment to think? And I don't think that social media sort of rewards that sort of behavior. And I think it also often punishes that sort of behavior if you mm-hmm. are like a person who takes a little bit longer to maybe like articulate the thing that you're thinking about or maybe synthesize the information that you've been gathering and understanding. I totally agree. And I also think that that might go back to what I was sort of thinking about earlier, like that we used to be, I don't know, maybe I'm contradicting myself. Like this used to be our life. Instagram used to be, this is my person. And now I'm sort of like thinking that it's better that it's not that. 
Hmm. And that maybe you, I, I don't know, I'm kind of nervous to even say it, but like, maybe you don't need to touch on every single topic that happens. Like, I think we saw a lot of that whenever there was the Black Lives Matter protest, like we all need to be aware of it. We all need to change our behavior. You know, I totally agree. But I don't know if we all need to share an opinion. Like, does a company need to say something? I don't, I don't know. Right. And is it only just performative when a company's like, Mm -hmm. I think, I think we kind of like, we verge into this place of corporate personhood of like Mm -hmm. making corporations into these spokespeople for values that they don't actually have and can't actually follow through with because they are a corporation with a fiduciary obligation to maximize profits for shareholders. Like, (laughs) I worked at a clothing, like a fashion label that I recently left. And I, during this conversation, like we were, a lot of us, you know, my colleagues and I were like having conversations off of company Zooms, like just over the phone and over our personal Google Hangouts and stuff and being like, well, what do we do here? Like, do we have any autonomy here to hold this company accountable to the sorts of Mm -hmm. statements that it's made on Instagram or the like, how do, what do we do here? And I was hopeful in a lot of ways, but I did often feel like I needed to come back to like, y'all, why did you think that the company would do anything other than protect its bottom line? Yeah. What made you think that it was going to prioritize like social responsibility above profit when it's a corporation that has no certifications otherwise? Like it's not a B Corp. It's not like certified to do anything in particular. Mm -hmm. Like what made you trust in this corporation so much? Because I'm fucking skeptical. Like I am a big skeptic, big time. And like that gets in the way sometimes for me because I sometimes have trouble figuring out like, what nonprofit that I should donate to because I get worried about like, well, where are the funds going and how is this being used? And like, Mm -hmm. you know, I've so appreciated the opportunity for like lots of mutual aid projects that have come up because those feel just so much more direct and impactful. But I'm really skeptical. And I was really surprised that my coworkers were not as skeptical, that they just kind of like took this brand's values at face value and were like, I believe that you will do the right thing. And I was like, why? Why do you think they're going to do the right thing? And it makes me think that maybe we have been so inundated with brand messages mm-hmm. that are about like the quote values that they hold that it's becoming harder and harder to parse what's real and what's not. Totally. And like, I think we see whenever, so- like if if McDonald's said something, like we know that there's no McDonald who is like, I feel this way and I'm going to change. Like right. we were intelligent enough to see that. And so what I'm struggling with is does a sewing account need to say something about climate change or like whatever topic is at hand, you know, like, Mm. I don't necessarily always think so because you can see that that's not real. And you can, as like Francisco, I can say, I definitely did the work. I definitely thought about it. I definitely like continue to like learn, but like, does my sewing account need to say that? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I think it's a really complicated one because I, on the one hand, as a consumer, I'd like to know which places I feel like I could put money. And again, here I am contradicting myself because I'm like, fuck corporations trying <laughs> to like say they have values. But I think like in our smaller communities of small businesses and stuff, there's something to knowing that at least on a surface level, there's thought going into this, but it's not, mm. yeah, I don't know. It's really complicated, especially when you're just like a person 
making a thing, you know, like either making a podcast or making a sewing account where like you're not necessarily trying to like earn money off of it. You didn't necessarily mm-hmm. have any kind of specific goal in mind with it. It was just like an outlet for the creative practice that you have. Like mm-hmm. I think like there's room there for that person to decide like how and when and where they speak about their values. And for me, it's been like I've so I've been so gratified by conversations that I've been able to have in person and over Zoom and stuff and mm-hmm. you know, community meetings within my local area, like that sort of stuff. Totally. I really want to encourage people to do that because like more than I want to encourage them to like say to like black out a square on their Instagram yeah. because that's it's it is one action, but it's a performative action and and it's okay. I think it's okay to like do actions that are performative to show that like this is something that is important to you but I, I believe it needs to be backed up by other work mm-hmm. and that work almost never can be performed sufficiently on Instagram and I don't really think it needs to be like yeah there's often times where I'm like why are you showing me like I don't you just go do it like this isn't yeah. you don't need a cookie for this work like you just need to go read and you need to go talk to your like siblings and your parents and like maybe your therapist too <laughs> like, yeah it's, yeah I think it it got so complicated for me and it continues to be complicated and like yeah having the eyes on you it's like always scary you know yeah well and I felt like your account got really big really fast where it's like mm-hmm. you got all these followers and I can imagine that being both really cool and exciting because I've loved that people are picking up on your work and seeing you mm-hmm. but at the same time I imagine it's like oh I went from sharing this with like these people to sharing <laughs> it with all of these people and like what are they all going to think about how I, you know, how I show up to Instagram in particular, how I decide to present myself on the internet, you know? Yeah, it's like so dumb that I even have to like worry about it. <laughs> like, why am I worried about this? I follow an account because I love it. But then there's also that secret part of myself that's like, I follow this account because it's so well put together. And like, yeah. every image is perfect. But then that can only get you so far, you know, like, right after a while that fades away. And you're like, what is the substance here? So right. I need to figure that out for myself and like for my own, if I even want to like continue, like I have to figure all of that out and it's complicated. It is. And at the same time, like I just feel like the presence of your account in the world is an important thing. It feels special to me that you're a person who walks again, this like line of gender expression that you just don't often see. Like that just feels really special and important to me. So I guess, I guess what I mean to say is I want to validate that like the thing you're doing is inherently important, inherently impactful by virtue of you showing up as yourself to do it. So I don't, obviously I can't tell you what your line is for how you share your personal values on the internet. Cause I mean, if you figure out how to do that, please, by all means, don't tell me, I'd love to know how to do it in a way that's more graceful than what I've been able to do. But, but I do think, I think there's just like inherent value to what you're producing. Thank you. But I want everyone to know that I'm a Capricorn. And so sharing anything personal is very hard for me. <laughs> you should put that front and center. Just like make that your bio. Like Capricorn does not share about personal life. Sewing account. Sewing <laughs> like... account only, but we'll chat. <laughs> I love it. What I also wanted to really even like maybe ask you about is that I think what I've realized as something that on my own account, the more that I like produce these things that I love and that are like for me, the more people are responding with like, oh my God, I want that. Oh my God, I'll buy that. Like, oh my God, this is like how much I want one. Like, I don't know if like that is, that almost bothers me sometimes because I'm like, this is something that I made 
not thinking about the value of it. It like the value was only for me. And like, to me, sometimes it's not even a compliment that you're saying, I need it. Like, this is mine. Like, I want to buy it right away. You know, like, yes, yes. I don't know what that line is. And like, if that's something that's happening to a lot of different people. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I think, especially when you're posting on Instagram, there is, I think, this sort of inherent assumption that you will then sell your things to people or like Mm -hmm. your ultimate goal is to eventually sell things to people because of how the platform exists and the fact that it's like more and more becoming a way that you could like shop for things, I think. And I, I find this a lot of the time with people that I speak to for the podcast or, you know, for myself, which is like, I'm, this isn't ever going to be my full-time job. I've never, Mm -hmm. I've never wanted it to be that. I've tried differing variations of monetizing various parts of my craft and also of the podcast and have just been like, Ooh, that's a hard no for me. Like (laughs) that brings, that just sucks all the joy right out of that. And I think that that one is so interesting The like how much I want it like mm-hmm. that kind of I think like the same thing happens to people who post a lot about the clothes that they're wearing. We're like, what size is it? What brand is it? Where did you get it? Like that the only information a person is seeking from you is like how they can consume the product from you. Like, yes. I think it feels like a product of the app, like the way that the app's been designed. But I think it's such a bummer because again, it's like, this is the means that we have right now most easily to share our work, I think. Mm-hmm. And it really does detract from the fact that like, it's just a beautiful thing that you made. And I think like, again, there's like value in just literally making a thing and connecting with people over the fact that you made this garment and it doesn't have to be for sale. But there's often, I, I imagine you get this too, that there's just often like a lot of pressure to suddenly be monetizing the thing (laughs) like yeah or like feeling like you're wasting not your time but like you're wasting your presence by not making money off of it I think I hit that wall like this winter where I'm like oh okay I need to start like making two of everything or like oh my gosh I can start posting this and then saying oh this is for sale like and for me it like took everything away that made sewing so fun it made it just like job number two you know like yeah it made me also think about how I'm interacting with other accounts like am I only following you and like loving your things because eventually I want to own them or am I like loving the fact that you are so talented at this that you're able to do this yeah yeah no I totally get that and I I feel the same way about production work anytime that I've been like I'm gonna make this to sell it's like immediately sucked all the joy out of it Mm -hmm. or like having a deadline or even even sometimes when I've done trades for people but they felt really tight timelines I like trades in general because it feels like this sort of different and reciprocal exchange of like I'm so I'm so inspired by you I so admire your work and I, I you know in general hope that it feels reciprocal in both directions and like that work feels really different to me because it's like it's one thing and we've kind of worked out like what feels like a realistic trade for the amount of labor we're each putting into it and Mm -hmm. usually there's not a big timeline because they're also makers (laughs) who totally you know get that like you're doing this in the wee hours or yeah outside of the rest of your life but anytime that I've like decided to do anything production work related I've just been like why did I do this to myself (laughs) like I hate this already like it's it was so special and now it just feels terrible (laughs) and I I think we just need to be comfortable with saying like selfishly this is for me like yeah I, I love hearing that you love it and I love all the inspiration that you're bringing to me and like definitely motivation like nothing motivates me more than hearing that somebody is enjoying something that I'm making yeah but but that doesn't mean that it's like 
something to consume or like something to purchase and something right. to own. Like right. sometimes it's it's better to appreciate and leave it as like an appreciation. Right. And I think you coming to that knowledge of yourself, like that self-awareness that that's what's right for you and being willing to also hold that line of like, this is what's right for me. This is mm-hmm. how far I go with my work is super special. And like, I think it can take a really long time to get to that point and I was talking with my friend Grace who was on the podcast last year and she was like I always really admire her as someone who seems really upfront with her work where she's like this is how I sell quilts and this is how you will buy quilts for me if you want Mm -hmm. to buy a quilt and like if I write a knitting like a knitting pattern that's an exact copy of like the Baba sweater I am not going to sell you that pattern (laughs) Like, like that kind of she's just really articulate about like she knows exactly what she wants from mm-hmm. how she shares in the world. And I really admire people who are in a space of self-assuredness where they're just like, I know that this is how I engage best with the world. And so I'm going to continue to engage in that way. And if you love what I make, please, by all means, like continue to be here and let, let's be in touch with each other. But like, no, I'm not going to sell you something. I'm yeah. Sorry, you know, I think I'm, I'm like getting there and like, mm. again, I'm a Capricorn, like, I love my brain loves that you can make money off of something like this, but like I need to give myself the respect to say I'm making something beautiful for myself. And that's the line. And I love, I love that you're here. Like I enjoy that you're here and let's just like keep it where it is. I love that. I'm I'm glad to hear you say that too, because I think, I think there really can be such a pressure to like have to monetize your passion work and Mm -hmm. Like it's right for some people and it's not right for everybody. And I think especially if you like enjoy the thing that gives you an income, like a cash flow, day job, whatever you call it, like especially if that work is interesting and takes good care of you for the most part, by all means, that's that's great. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, cool. Like soak that up. Yeah. Well, I'm so happy to have you. Thank you so much for being here today. (laughs) Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm like, haven't really spoken to a lot of people who are into textiles and like makers. So it's, it's been really refreshing and really fun. Great. I'm so glad to hear it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. The Close Knit Podcast is hosted by me, Ani Lee. A huge thank you to Andrew Bruce for writing podcast theme music that makes me genuinely smile every time I hear it. And giant thanks to my amazing producer, Amelia Harubi. You can subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts and support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash closeknit.